It's not so much that I set out, you know, at some point in time saying, I want to be a priest, but more so that there were things that I naturally did, ways in which I naturally participated in community, that then one small kind of leadership leading to a slightly larger kind of leadership that have moved me in this direction, which maybe was God's way of like, okay, Lauren's not gonna say yes to this big question I'm asking. But if I, if I break it down to these smaller pieces, maybe I can get her to say yes to those things. We don't have all the answers and we ask tons of hard questions. Listen in as knowledge-seeking, faith-filled, and hope-driven voices from St. Elizabeth's Church in Sudbury, Massachusetts connect to make our collective community stronger. So hey, Lauren, how's it going? Hey, Mary Knox, going pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well. I am so excited to talk with you today because you have graciously accepted my invitation to speak with you about um, your recent ordination mm -hmm. and what this journey and this path have been like for you. So thank you so much for taking the time to discuss it. Sure. Um, so you just were ordained, right? Just a few a couple, days ago. Yeah, on the 17th. I've been ordained in the context of this pandemic, which changes things a little bit. And this ordination happened like 13 years after I started this whole process, which I think puts a different spin on it also, where I'd say the average discernment period is probably closer to five years. So I, I to answer your question more succinctly, <laughs> how it felt was um, affirming that the sort of the struggles I've been through and the um, perseverance that I've shown, like it's, it all, it came to fruition. We are finally here and now we're moving on. <laughs> now, now what's next kind of thing. Oh, congratulations. It's amazing. Thank and you. Seriously. It sounds like a long time coming. I didn't realize that it had been such a long <laughs> journey for you. Yeah, do you. Yeah. Do you mind talking kind of about that journey? And I, and I asked because you know, I've often heard priests refer to their decision to become a priest as a calling, uh -huh. right? So um, can you describe your calling? Calling, at least for me, um, I think is totally true. And I think it's something that we often don't recognize all that much except in hindsight. So looking backwards, St. Savior's Episcopal Church in Old Greenwich, Connecticut is <laughs> where I started my journey. There had been a snowstorm and I carried the cross that day and I helped Father Minor set the table. And I remember there was a, a bench on the side of the chancel where the acolytes sat and I'd sort of done the last big thing that I was responsible for other than carrying the cross out for the final procession. And I remember sitting down on the bench and being like, okay, done. I made it through. <laughs> this is great. And... <laughs> And the, then there was this voice or this sense of a voice, um, which was like Lauren there over, like you should, you should be over there. And I'm like, no, I should be right here. I have finished what I am supposed to do. And I am sitting on my acolyte bench. I have checked this off the list. I have done this successfully. I'm supposed to be right here, right where I am. And the voice kept saying there, over there, look over there and I remember looking up and seeing the celebrant um, 
breaking the bread. And in this in this church, there were these transom windows, which a couple times during the year, the sun would shine in just the, the right way or the wrong way, depending upon where you were standing. And this day, as Father Mina was breaking the bread, the sun was streaming in and bouncing off of the white linens and bouncing off of his white robe and essentially like obliterating his presence. You could tell that there was a person there, but you couldn't see his face. And all you could see were sort of his forearms and the pieces of the broken bread. And this voice was saying to me, there, you should be there. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that's where it started. And as time went on, I then started singing in church choirs and, and whatnot. But I was always an acolyte until went away to college and, and came back and was asked to be a verger. So now not just overseeing the acolytes, but being the MC for the service kind of thing. And I was in a meeting as the meeting was wrapping up, it sort of devolved into just social catch up. And as I was leaving the office, this priest came and followed me and said, Lauren, can I, um, I want to, can I talk to you about something? And I thought, oh no. And he said, well, I, I'm, I'm wondering if you've ever thought of being a priest and like, it, it was like, he could see inside me <laughs> these like things that I had sort of been thinking about, but not with any kind of context. Like there had, there was never, um, when I was growing up, there wasn't a lot of conversation about how one becomes a priest or who becomes a priest or like what that even means. They just, there were priests in my world. They existed. And I looked at him and I was like, funny you should ask. Um, yes, but I need about five years before I'm ready to have that conversation. <laughs> and he was like, okay, <laughs> fine then. And then about five years later, I found myself um, moving up to Cambridge, Massachusetts to pursue um, a master's degree in education there. And talking about calling, did not feel called to teach in a classroom. That was also very clear on that. I was working at Christchurch Cambridge at the time, and I uh, sent a note to Jeff Mello, who's currently the rector of St. Paul's in Brookline, but he was the newly ordained curate at the time at Christchurch Cambridge. And I just asked him if he had time for coffee. But um, at the, the end of this walk around the big block from Christchurch to Starbucks and back, he said to me, um, you know, this has been really great. And I, I really enjoyed getting to know you more. And, but I kind of feel like, you know, I feel like there, this isn't this isn't what we're supposed to be talking about. And I said, you know what? I just need like 30 seconds to collect my thoughts. And I do that. Well, you know, I wanted to talk to you because I really think I want to be a priest, but I don't I don't even know what that means or like how to do that. And he was like, right, let's go to my office and have a conversation. So that's in some ways, that's where like the formal discernment started. You know, God calls us to things that sometimes we're just not willing to do. And I think God is completely aware of that. It doesn't mean that God's going to stop asking, but, but, the, but it has to be, we have to say yes in order to do something. God isn't, God isn't in the business of twisting arms, you know, or of, of guilting us into doing something, um, just of continual 
invitation, which sometimes gets really hard to say no to. Lauren, your story is amazing because of all of the twists and turns that you've done. It, I mean, it started when you were six years old and here you are years mm-hmm. and years and years later. Of all the things that you have done on this discernment path, of all the different aspects of the church that you've seen since you were six years old, what are some of your favorite things? Gosh, I think one of the things I think which which spans the communities that I've I've been a part of, one of my favorite things is being witness to the creation and tending of bonds of what I would call Christian friendship. It's it's a really intentional way of supporting one another and caring for one another that doesn't necessarily happen outside outside the the bounds of our faith communities and I mean we can have a whole other conversation about what are the bounds of our faith communities and how far do those reach but I mean it's it's absolutely something that that anyone can do but I think for me because I was in this particular mindset of discerning for myself those were things I was paying attention to something else that I was privy to that I probably wouldn't have been um, if I weren't on this discernment path were planning people's funerals and spending time with the with the deceased's family and loved ones and those have been amazingly Christ-centered experiences where it's kind of the communal experience of hearing that still small voice within the whirlwind um, and to be able to meet with families at, at a time in like this crazy, busy, disorienting, distracting world, which we all live in pandemic aside to spend time together during a time of family emotional crisis, you know, to one degree or another, which is its own whirlwind and to learn from other experienced clergy, how they hold space for God's voice to be heard in that moment. And, and then sort of having that responsibility given over to me as I learned to navigate some of those conversations with family members. It's a way of bearing witness to Christ's love that is completely unexpected to a lot of people and absolutely goes beyond beyond the the walls of a church community goes beyond the walls of of a faith community and i think really well I mean, and that's like that's what jesus was about a lot of the time i think his view of love was much more expansive than anything else existing at the time one of the questions i wanted to ask you was that you probably never could have imagined the timing of your ordination being in the middle of a global pandemic. (laughs) Um, And speaking of the things that you have mentioned in terms of what it is that you love about being a priest and bearing witness um, to people during their time of grief, you know, what has it been like to help people navigate, you know, their spiritual path during this time of extended crisis? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of it, it's kind of really a mixed bag and and a bag that keeps mixing itself too. things that I 
could anticipate how this was going to go. You know, like this is what we did last year. This is what we're going to do this year. Those things are out the window, you know, and, you know, thank God that this pandemic is not a forever thing because there's not a forever solution to, you know, Sunday school that's going to work for everyone kind of thing. Things like pastoral care in some way, there is some aspects of that that are so much harder than they used to be because, you know, parishioners who live in nursing homes or assisted living or whatnot, they're going to tend to be the ones that aren't as technologically savvy or, or connected even. Um, And sometimes even speaking on the phone is not super effective because of hearing loss and whatnot. It can be really difficult to figure out a way to, to meet that need or continue that relationship in what feels like the same way. I think, and I think pastoral care, I think that was a big fear of a lot of people, clergy and, uh, and laity alike that like, how are we going to do this? If we can't be together in person, how are we possibly going to do this? And um, to hear a couple of, a couple of people say like, well, there is this thing called the telephone, which we used to, we used to rely on all the time and thing. not one with a screen, you know, um, might not even have caller ID on it. Like that, that's a thing we can still, we might not be able to see each other in person, but we can still call each other like we used to. So I feel like I, I completely missed the most obvious question, which is, why did you become a priest? It's an interesting question because I don't know that I don't know that there's like a why. I believe that God called me to be a priest. I became a priest because the communities that I've served recognized me as that. Because well, we'll see here. This is this is the interesting thing about like God and what God calls us to do. Does God call us to things because of qualities that we have, or do we gain qualities because of what God is calling us into? I don't have an answer for that. It's not so much that I set out, you know, at some point in time saying, I I want to be a priest, but more so that there were things that I naturally did, ways in which I naturally participated in community that then one small kind of leadership leading to a slightly larger kind of leadership leading to a broader kind of leadership that have moved me in this direction, which maybe was God's way of like, okay, Lauren's not going to say yes to this big question I'm asking. But if I, if I break it down to these smaller pieces, maybe I can get her to say yes to those things. And we'll just kind of, you know, lead her along this path. And then eventually what seemed like such a big, big ask just feels like the next obvious yes. It's not so much a matter of something I pursued, but it was a continual saying yes to what God was inviting me to do. How is it that we can better prepare ourselves to be quiet and to listen to God and to, you know, respond accordingly when even if we... (laughs) if we respond kicking and screaming, but we're coming, you know, (laughs) we're going to do it. But how do we, you know, especially in this time of just absolute uncertainty and 
fear and concern, you know, how do we be still enough to listen? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think in some ways, the answer to the question is in the question itself. It's it's about finding ways and times for each of us, because it's going to be different. Um, it may be different for each of us, how exactly we do this or when we do this. It's about practice. It's about creating a discipline of setting aside time where you know we we slow down our breathing where we are able to hold at bay the distractions of the world and for a period of time where then we can quiet ourselves enough to hear god's voice i have a friend who uh who was with me in the discernment process in connecticut and she like many of us, leads a very, very, very busy life. And she reported um, to this group at one point when we were meeting that her spiritual director and she had been talking about prayer and finding time for personal prayer, finding time to just be with God and, you know, the difficulty of doing that in a life that is that just seems to never stop. This woman's spiritual director said to her, well, you know, not for nothing, but the human body does have like an internal timer set to it. And there are things that we have to do throughout the day where we have to take a break from what we're doing. And, and this woman looked at her spiritual director and was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so <laughs> the, the short of it was this woman began a prayer practice that happened whenever she had to leave her desk during the day to use the bathroom. And the bathroom became like when I walk into the bathroom, that is a time when I learn to clear my mind. And, you know, if I spend five minutes in here instead of maybe the three minutes that I needed or 10 minutes in here instead of, you know, whatever it was that that because sometimes what we what we need is a really physical, concrete reminder, the passing through of the bathroom doorway and the door closing behind like work life is out there, something else is going on in here. If it's tied to something that you have to do, your body is going to make you do anyway, then sometimes the, the beginning of having a discipline that way is an easier starting point than saying like, well, technically, you know, I could stop and pray anytime between one and three today, you know, but have it not tied to anything because otherwise you're sitting there you know, answering emails or running the kids around or what you know whatever it is but finding something that you can't wiggle out of because your body's going to make you do it anyway that's that's just one example for me i'm a super night owl like if i could live my life according to my circadian rhythms i would be up until about 4am and then i would sleep until noon or 1 and then begin my day which means that there's there are times when, you know, it's really hard for me to fall asleep when I quote unquote need to. And I've taken those times um, sort of building on the idea that there are, because of these lovely time zones that we have around the world, there are Christians praying at any hour, any minute of the day, and we all take turns. And so if I'm, you know, lying in bed or putzing around my bedroom, trying to you know, get myself to fall asleep. 
that's my opportunity to take time and sit with God and pray a little bit or just listen. And for some people, you know, once we have the time and the space to sit and be quiet, then it's really easy for us to do that. For other people, um, the second we start doing that, when we're not actively engaged with what's going on around us, then our minds start running through their own dialogue about what needs to be done and hasn't been done and what we didn't do well and what we did really well. And that was great. And like that in and of itself isn't antithetical to prayer. There are ways in which, what is it? Uh, Ignatian spirituality. There are a list of questions that, that we can walk ourselves through, which helps to sort of contain that or give structure to the running ticker list of thoughts in our heads that sometimes seems like unstoppable. And, and you know, so I think to, to reframe things that are already happening in our lives and look at them as a prayerful experience when we're doing them intentionally. I mean, I think that's the, that's the key to, to finding some kind of uh, like reassurance um, in these times when things feel so, you know, unpredictable and out of the ordinary. I think what any teacher of meditation or um, or centering prayer will tell a new student, the world today leads us to be to expect sort of immediate gratification or or really fast results in some way, and that's not that's not the world that God lives in, and that's not the world that God asks us to live in. And often it's much more of a delayed gratification that we're going for. Um, You know, people who have been practicing centering prayer and meditation for years will, you know, and and those of us who who don't do it or don't do it um, in the same way that they do might look at them and say, oh, well, you know, you've been meditating for 30 years. This much has come naturally to you now, and this is super easy. And no, it's a continual. Um, there are times when it's easy and then there are times when we feel like we're beginners all over again, because thoughts from the outside world are trying to break into our inner peace and we're having to remind ourselves of what it was like, you know, when we started and how, how is it that we then go back and whether it's taking a breath and returning to sort of a centering word or whether it's some kind of you know, physical movement, something that brings us back to the calm, quiet place. That's, that's something that we each need to discover for ourselves and, and build on in our own prayer practice. So you're saying it's okay that I'm a work in progress. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we all are, right? But you know, this is a, this is a perfect segue into the final question that I was going to ask, because in some ways you've already answered it, but you know, you started this conversation talking about your six-year-old self sitting there as an acolyte looking over mm-hmm. towards the altar, what yeah. would you tell your six-year-old self about navigating faith now that you know what you know? I don't know. I think my six-year-old self would have a lot to tell me, actually. Um, just that don't lose that sense of being connected to God or, or maybe not so much don't lose it, you know, there's, there's no need to fear losing that sense of connection because even when maybe you wonder if God is still with you because things are 
hard and the path forward is murky, there will always be this underlying knowledge or this, this deep truth that you're aware of that, that God is with you in all of this um, and that you can trust that and, and rely on that. And, you know, and perseverance will become your middle name. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which is so appropriate for the time that we're living in right now. Wow. Well, Lauren, it has been an absolute joy to speak with you. Thank you so much for Thanks, sharing your story awesome. and yeah. for talking. Absolutely. About all things calling. <laughs> yeah. Well, the happiest of New Year's to you. To you and yours. Say hi to the family for me. I will do. Okay. Okay, bye. Bye.